0: And Turn to Colossians chapter 1, where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, uh, the first Sunday of January, we launched into this new year of 2015 with a challenge to mature, to grow in our faith by craving God's Word. And we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, where the Apostle Peter uh, says that we're, like newborn infants, we should crave the God, Word of God like an infant, like a baby does the milk that comes from its mother. And we got cards on the back table, reading plans that we uh, launched last weekend. We've sent that out over email, posted it on Facebook. We've also got the actual physical card here this weekend. You can tuck that in your Bible, uh, carry that with you, open it up each morning or each evening or each lo- noon time, whenever you read God's Word and that particular time of the day that you've carved out to dig into and and feed on the nourishment that we receive from God's Word. And so it can be right there with you um, all along the way there tucked in your Bible. But this morning we want to turn our attention to uh, the kind of the backside of that and what God is, uh, our our desire, what we want to see God do in the life of our church and the life of our community over the course of this next year as we move further into 2015. Last weekend we looked at a call to crave God's Word and to feed on it. This weekend I want to look at a call from the Scriptures that we would be a church that is a praying church. That is faithful and fervent to pray. Uh, The story is told of D. L. Moody, he was an evangelist. Uh, in the 1800s, traveling around, doing evangelistic meetings all around the world, across the globe, Uh, and a particular evangelistic meeting that he was doing in Scotland. Uh, He was there preaching in the evenings in the church or at the hall, and during the day he went to visit a particular school where there were children gathered of all ages from kindergarten on up through uh, secondary education. He's there to speak to these children, and he asks himself this question, what should I talk to these children about? Right here he is, used to preaching to the crowds and masses of adults about who God is and what he's done in Jesus Christ. And he goes, What's, what am I going to say to these children? So as he thought and prayed and considered what he might talk to these children about, he said, I've talked to them about prayer. That's, where I'll, that's what I'll do. So he comes into the school and he had a massive assembly, about 500 kids there to listen to D.L. Moody talk. And he says, he opens his, his talk that day with them about prayer by asking a question. Very simple. Well, he intended to be a rhetorical question. Right, so he asks this question of these, all these kids who are assembled there. He says, what is prayer? This is how he starts out the, the, the talk that he's going to give them. What is prayer? And to his astonishment, about half the room shot their hand up into the air. Like they're going to answer the question, and he's sitting there thinking that was a rhetorical question, right? Not necessarily when I was looking for a response from. And so these kids shot their hands up in the air, and so finally, in kind of astonishment, he looks down on the front row to this one young lady who's seated kind of right in front of him, and he calls on her, and he says, yes, ma'am, what, what is prayer? To which she replies with these words, Prayer is the offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. This little grade school kid. <laughs> and Moody sat there for a moment and he thought about the response this young girl gave and he said... To all the children who were there assembly he said, be thankful that you were born in Scotland. In other words, a place where they took catechizing or instructing their children seriously in the things of God. Because what she responds with basically is the, the answer to the question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism to what is prayer. They've been taught what prayer was. It's the offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. John Piper in a sermon on prayer numbers of years ago bowled down that definition in a very succinct way. and He said this. He said, prayer is asking God for things. It's asking God for things. Now when he says it's asking God for things, he doesn't mean asking God for stuff necessarily. He's not saying asking God for a bigger home or a nicer car or a more fulfilling job or vocation, or for clothing to hang in our closet, or shoes to wear on our feet. He's not necessarily saying that we're asking God for a bigger piece of land or property, or that we're asking God for stuff that we can put our hands on, but it's anything, any desire, any longing of our heart, anything that God would stir or awaken, that we would ask Him for it. We would petition him for it for ourselves, or we would intercede on behalf of others for those things that are agreeable to his will. That's what prayer is. It's asking God, coming before God upon our knees. And my hope is that God in this year would make us a church that is like a friend who gets awoken in the middle of the night with a visitor who's Coming to their home, and they don't have enough food to provide for this visitor, a meal of hospitality, so they go next door, and they bang on the door of their neighbor's home until their neighbor answers the door, because they will not go away, and they just keep coming and petitioning and coming and petitioning and coming and petitioning, or like a widow, a widow who is, is, feels like she's being cheated or slotted, and so she petitions the judge until the judge would is, dispense justice. And she comes day after day after day after day to petition the judge for justice in her case. That God would make us a church that prays faithfully, that God would make us a church of people who would pray fervently with passion. Ian e. Bounds, an author in the late 19th and early 20th century, said this. He said, True prayer must be a flame. He says, Christian life and character need to all be on fire. Lack of spiritual heat creates more infidelity than lack of faith. There are many people out there who claim to have faith in Jesus, but there doesn't seem to be any flame burning in their hearts for the things of God or for the people of God or for the mission of God. He says, "True prayer must be a flame, like every other discipline and every other characteristic of a Christian that should be on fire." And oftentimes, if I were to look in the mirror and be honest with you, and if you were to be honest with me, we would have to say that our prayer life doesn't look like a raging bonfire down in College Station, but our prayer life looks like the spark from a flint—here one second and gone the next. And my hope is that in 2015, that God would awaken our hearts and he would enrage a flame and a fire that would burn deep, that would drive us to our knees, so that in 2016, we would wake up January 1, and there would be calluses on our knees, because we're before God in prayer, asking God to do what only God can do. But what kind of things should we ask God for? What kind of things should we ask God for? So when you get on your knees to pray for your children, what should you ask God for on behalf of your kids? When you get on your knees to pray for your family, or for your friends, or for your employees, or for your employer, what kinds of things should you ask God for and intercede on their behalf about? Whenever you get on your knees and pray for your our leaders, for your family, for the pastors and elders of your church, what kinds of things should you ask God for? When we as When the elders and pastors and staff of this church assemble, what kind of things should we ask God for on behalf of this congregation and in this community? What kind of things should we pray about corporately? What kind of things should we pray about personally? What are we asking God for? And in Colossians chapter 1 and verses 9 to 14, the apostle Paul I think gives us a pretty clear indication of some of the things that we should be asking God for whenever we get down on our knees and we offer up our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. What kind of things? Paul opens the book of Colossians with a thanksgiving, a word of thanksgiving for the work that God had done in the life of those individuals that he had never met, more than likely. Most scholars and commentators don't think Paul ever met any of the folks at the church at Colossae, but he hears a report of what's been going on there. So he writes them a letter to encourage them to stay the course in the face of all kinds of false teaching that was arising around them. And he says, I'm thankful in verses three to eight for the work that God has done in your life through the gospel. And he's, he's very flowery language to give thanksgiving for all that God has done. And then in verse nine, he transitions to say, and this is what I'm praying for you, church. This is what I'm asking God for. And I want you to listen to what he asked God for on behalf of the church at Colossae. In chapter 1, verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes, And so from the day we heard, in other words, from the day we heard about all that God was doing in you, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that, God, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." As you read through Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae, there are two things that stand out to me about what Paul has been on his knees consistently and continually asking God for in the life of that church. And the first one is this: he's asking God that God would give them a knowledge of his will. They would pray for a knowledge of God's will. And when you get on your knees this year in 2015, one of the things that I want to ask you to ask God for for us as a church is that God would give us a knowledge of his will. He would grant us understanding of his desires for us as his people planted in this context and in this community. Look in verse 9, Paul says that he's asking for the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now in this context, Paul's not referring to God's will in in the sovereign sense of God's will. In other words... He's not saying that I'm praying that God would show you who you should marry or God would show you what job you should take or that God would show you what house you should buy or that God would show you what car you should purchase or lease or rent or that God would show you if you should give to this particular ministry and support this particular charity. He's not saying all these particulars about decisions that they're trying to make about these ins and outs of their lives. He's talking not necessarily about God's sovereign will about things that are coming down the road, but he's talking about God's more will in their lives and the reason that we know this is because whenever you look at the text paul says in verse 10 he says the reason i'm asking for god to make his will so plain to you and give you knowledge of his will is so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the lord fully pleasing to him that you would walk and anytime you read that word walk in the bible it's a reference to how you live how you conduct yourself the type of a character you have the type of conduct." you're engaged in and Paul says I want God to make his will so plain and so clear and give you knowledge of his will so that you would walk and live as God's people should walk and live that you would live in God's moral will so that regardless of what generation you were born in and regardless of what co- continent you live on that you would know what God's will is for all of God's people in all places at all times his moral will what it looks like to live as the people of God. Paul says, I want you to know that. And I'm praying that for you. I'm asking God to show that to you. Now, is it wrong to pray about the particulars of life? About what job you should take? And about who you should marry? And about what house you should buy? I know it's not wrong to pray about those things. You should bring those things before God. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. Teach us. Instruct us, open our eyes to see, to make wise choices. But what Paul's talking about here is not so much about the particulars, but about God forming a people who would make decisions in their lives that are honoring to him without a magic eight ball to give them direction. <laughs> right? They're not shaking the little magic eight ball and going, should I mirror this person? Maybe. Right? That's one of the answers in the magic eight ball. He's saying, I want God to form a people whose character and hearts are so shaped by who God is and what he's doing and what he desires of you and for you, that it would be natural to make decisions that are in that trajectory as you live and conduct yourselves. Paul says, I'm praying for a knowledge of God's will. And there are at least three elements of God's will that Paul mentions here in the text that he's praying for the Colossians. So that they would know God's will and the result of knowing God's will would be these three things. Listen to what he says. He says, first of all, that they'd be fruitful in every good work. That what God wills for you and I as his people is that you and I would be fruitful and not idle. That we would not sit on our hands, but our hands would be engaged in the work that God has given us to do. Here in this church, here in this community, in this time, at this season, where God has planted and placed us. If you notice in verse 10, Paul says he's praying for the Colossians so they would bear fruit in every good work. So that the God, And what I want to see, what my desire long to see in this church and in my life is that 2015, in word and in deed, we would be fruitful in every good work. That the gospel would be on our lips and the gospel would be evidenced in our lives in 2015. And the things that we're saying as we're participating in God's mission to share the gospel, to shape disciples, and to send missionaries locally and globally, that we would be fruitful in every good work, so we would not sit in idleness. And perhaps there are some of us in the room, 2014 was a year of idleness for us. And Paul makes it very clear. I'm asking God to make clear His will to you so that you would not be idle any longer, but you'd be fruitful. And my hope is that we as a church in 2015 would be fruitful. We'd be a fruitful people. Because God is giving us clarity on what His will is for us. So that in word and in deed, we'd be bearing fruit. Secondly, notice what Paul says that God wills that we not only be fruitful, but we'd be faithful in patient endurance. If you go down into verse 11, Paul says that he's praying for the Colossians so they would exercise patience and endurance with joy. Now there's some of us who have been very patient and some of us who have endured a lot but not very joyfully. Not very joyfully. But Paul says, I'm praying that God would make clear the knowledge of his will so that you would be faithful. You'd be fruitful and you'd be faithful. Faithful so that no matter the difficult people that God places in your life as you engage in bearing fruit in every good work, that you be patient with them. Because listen, the world is full of difficult people. This room is full of difficult people. My home is full of difficult people. When I look in the mirror, I see a difficult person. And that God would give us patience, with the difficult people that, we ha- that we ha- God's called us to minister to and love in 2015. That we would not write them off, but we'd be patient with them. And that in 2015, whatever circumstances rise up around us, that we would endure them. We'd be patient with difficult people we would endure difficult circumstances. And that this patience and this endurance would be filled with joy. That it wouldn't be a begrudging patience. I'm going to go meet with them again. I get to go meet with them again and talk to them about all that God has for them and all that God desires for them. Oh no, that, that happened again. I can't believe we're having to face that challenge one more time. That circumstance, one more time. I know that in that, God is refining me. And I know that in that, so joyfully I embrace it. As difficult as it might be, that chastening might be. But God is working in that to make me holy and make me pure and make me loving and make me peaceful and make me patient. To make me kind, to make me generous. Paul says, I'm praying that God would make His will known so that you'd be fruitful and so that you'd be faithful. That you would not turn back, but you would continue to press forward. And then finally, there's at least three things. Finally, God wills for us not only to be fruitful and faithful, but to be grateful as well for the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 12. In verse 12, Paul says that he's praying for the Colossians that they would give thanks to God the Father who had qualified them to share in the inheritance belonging to God's people. Verse 12, Paul says, listen, I want you to be fruitful, I want you to be faithful, and I want you to be grateful for all that God has done. I want God to awaken within you a gratitude that is fueled by the gospel because God has done what you could not do. He's qualified you. You see, our problem when you think of being qualified, most of us think of either being unqualified or disqualified. And our problem is not that we were unqualified. We didn't just need a little more education. We didn't just need a little more training. We didn't need just an internship somewhere where we could get some experience. We didn't just need a little another certification course so that we would have the credentials and and, and qualify ourselves to move into God's favor. The problem is not that we were unqualified. The problem is that we were disqualified. Like someone who cheats. Like someone who lies. Like someone who deceives. We were were disqualified by nature, not unqualified. Unqualified. But what has God done? Paul says. He has taken those who are disqualified morally and spiritually, and He has qualified them to be recipients of the inheritance. In other words, to be His kids, to be His son, to be His daughter. And Paul says, I want you to know God's will so clearly so that in 2015 there would be a gratitude that would rise up in your heart for all that God has done for you in the gospel. By delivering you from the kingdom of darkness, domain of darkness, and transferring you into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. That God has delivered you, he's transferred you through Jesus' finished work at the cross, that he's redeemed you and forgiven you, and that there will be a gratitude that wells and builds and swells in your heart in 2015 that would drive you to your knees and then to your feet to be fruitful and to be faithful. The first thing Paul says he's asking for the church at Colossae is that they would know God's will. What it means to be a fruitful people. What it means to be a faithful people. What it means to be a grateful people. And that's what I want to ask you to ask God for for me. And that's what I'm going to be asking God for for you. Is that God would give you a knowledge of His will. Second thing that Paul says that he's asking for for the church at Colossae, he's praying for the knowledge of God's will, but he's also praying for an effusion of God's power. He's praying for an infusion of God's power. Look in verse 11. Paul says that there the Colossians might be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now why why is it that Paul would say, I'm asking God for to give you a knowledge of his will that he make it crystal clear the kind of people that he's calling you to be and desires you to be. Now why would Paul come off of that to say, I'm also asking God to strengthen you with all power according to his glorious might. Here's why I think he does that. Because Paul knows what we need. You, you can know all day long what you need to do. But you've got to have the strength and the power to do it. And you don't have the resources in and of yourself. You are hopeless and helpless, as am I. So when God commands something and God wills something, we need not only God to will it and command it, but to give it to give the grace that we need, to give the strength that we need, to give the power that we need. See, you and I live in an age, right? You and I live in an age where we think that we can figure out life for ourselves, right? We have Google. What else do we need, okay? You can Google it. You can find an answer to all of life's questions on Google. If you can't find it on Google, then try and find it on Facebook because somebody's got a post out there about it, right? We live in an age where there is an undercurrent of arrogance in our culture, even within the church, that we can figure this out. We can problem-solve, we can troubleshoot, we can brainstorm, we can benchmark with other people. And we can figure it out. See the problem? problem for us in this age was not a problem so much in ages before, because in ages before, generations that came before us, they understood themselves that they didn't have it in themselves to live as God had called them. They recognized that unless God gave what he commanded, they were hopeless and helpless. And as a result, they did not live as if God were just the extra nudge to kind of get them over the hill, but he was the catapult necessary to launch them over the mountain that stood in front of them. See, we live in an age where we think God is just kind of that extra push that we need to get us over the hump. and Not the catapult to launch us over this massive peak that stands before us. Because you can know exactly what you need to do. And listen, you know this from experience, don't you? I know this from experience. You can know exactly what you need to do and not do it. <laughs> You can know it would be wise to spend less than you make and not do it. You can know it would be wise to save and not do it. You can know that it would be wise to discipline your kids and not do it. You can know that it would be wise to do all kinds of things that God calls and commands us to do and not do them. So we need not only God to say, this is what I desire for you, that you be fruitful and that you be faithful and that you be grateful, but we also need God to give what he commands, the strength and the power to bear fruit, the strength and the power to be patient with people and to endure circumstances, the strength and the power to wake up every morning, no matter what's going on around us, with a swell of gratitude in our hearts for all that God has done. We need His strength. And Paul understands that. Teresa of Avila once said it this way. She said, Souls without the exercise of prayer are like a body that has the palsy or that is lame. And though it has feet and hands, it cannot use them. Brilliant image. You got feet and hands. But there's a lameness about us by nature that we cannot use them. And whenever we try to be independent of God, We're like a body that has the palsy, or like a body that is lame. And though we have the physical capacities, we cannot. We can't lift our arms. We can't grab that cup. We can't take that step unless God infuses the strength and power that we need by His grace. See, without dependence upon God, we can't be fruitful. John says it this way, right? He says, Listen, you, or Jesus says it this way through John's gospel. He says, You are the you 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 are the branches, I'm the vine. Right? And if you're not connected to me in a vital way, you you will bear no fruit, but the one who remains in me will bear great fruit. Not grapefruits, but great fruit. That was a really corny joke. You can't bear fruit without Him. You can't be faithful in patient endurance with joy without Him. And you will never be grateful in response to all that He's done without Him. Opening your eyes and opening your ears and opening your mind and on, 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 on opening your heart to see all that He's done and the beauty and glory of it. You can go, yeah, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus is risen, and Jesus is coming back. It doesn't really move me apart from God's grace and strength and power. Making that beautiful to you. So Paul says, I'm praying for a knowledge of God's will, and I'm praying for the power to do it. Both of those things, Paul says, go hand in hand. can't have one without the other. You can know everything that you need to do and not have the power to do it. So he says, I'm asking that God would give the power. And so I want you to pray for me this year in 2015 that I would know God's will. And I will pray for you in 2015 that we would know God's will and you would know God's will, but also pray for me that I would have the strength and the power to do it. And I will pray for you that God will give you the strength and the power to do it. So here's what I want to ask you to do in 2015. I want to ask you to pray. I want to ask you to pray. To pray like you've never prayed before. To pray like Paul prayed for the Colossians. Listen to what he says in verse 9. He says, From the day that I heard about all that God was doing in your lives, I have not ceased to pray for you. Now does that mean that every hour of every moment of every day that Paul is on his knees in his study praying for the church at Colossae? I don't think that's what it means. I think what Paul is saying is that there has not been a season that has gone by, perhaps a day that has passed in which God has not placed you on my heart and I have not responded by lifting you to him. That There would be a consistency and a continuity in our prayers that it would not be hit and miss, but that we would carve out time in the same way that we carve out time to read the Bible As we're reading God's redemptive purposes in history and we see the story unfold from Genesis to Revelation of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. And then as God speaks to us through his word, as we are craving it like infants do milk, then we're taking what he's speaking to us and we're praying it right back to him. That's why I asked you last week. If you don't have a desire for God's word, like an infant does for his mother's milk or her mother's milk, that you should pray Psalm 119, 103. God, would you make your word to me like honey? Because right now it is not. God, would you do that? Because I can't make it taste like that. But you can. God, I feel more like a camel this week than a deer. God, would you make me more like a deer this week that's panting after you than a camel who kind of lumbers in every seven days to get God's word through preaching and public reading? So I don't know if you've ever tried, but it's really impossible to change your own heart. You can change behaviors, but you can't change your heart. so Paul says, I'm faithfully, consistently, continually praying. And every time we get down on our knees, every time we get down on our knees, we're saying, God, I cannot do what you've asked me to do independent of you. Apart from you. But God, if I'm going to be faithful, if I'm going to be fruitful, and if I'm going to be grateful this year, in 2015, I need you. I need you. I need you to do what only you can do, God. And my hope and my prayer for us as a people, for our staff, who help organize and plan and structure ministry here in the life of this church for the elders and pastors that God has tasked with the, the, the responsibility of shepherding and nurturing and caring for everyone that God would bring to us is that 2015 would be a year in which we crave the word of God and 2015 would be a year in which we grow calluses on our knees before God in prayer. Saying, God, we need you to show up God, we need you to do what only you can do. Strengthen our hands to do what we can do, but God, we need you to do what only you can do in the hearts and lives of people. As we close this morning, what I want to do is invite the band back up and we're going to sing together this declaration publicly and corporately of our dependency upon God. To do what only He can do. And I want to ask you in 2015 to carve out time. In the same way that you would carve out time to talk to your kids. In the same way that you would carve out time to talk to your spouse. In the same way that you would carve out time to speak to friends or family. That you would carve out intentional time to be on your knees before God in prayer saying, God, I need you. We need you. We can't do it without you. Let's pray together. Father, today we thank you for your grace and kindness to us in the gospel. We thank you. We thank you, God, that you've qualified us when we were disqualified. And may that generate a gratitude in our hearts that is never quenched. And, Father, that there might be a joy in all of our patience and endurance as we're faithful to the very end. And that we might bear fruit in word and in deed. As we strive to live lives worthy of the calling that we've received. Worthy of you. Not that we would be worthy in and of ourselves, but we would live in a way that shows your worth and that shows your honor to the world around us by bearing fruit, by being faithful and living with gratitude. But God, we cannot do it. Father, we are impotent. And all of our attempts to do it independent from you and apart from you will always fail and fall. May you infuse us with the power that only you can provide through your abiding and dwelling Holy Spirit so that our hands and our feet would not be lame.